0: Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Um, I love that video, a church produced that uh, uh, three or four years ago, and to me it really captures the essence of this holiday season from Thanksgiving on to Christmas, and that in the midst of this holiday season, even as I landed uh, and kind of finalized our, our November series last week, we looked at gratitude as being this posture of life and how transformative gratitude can become and how it can be a truly like just freeing force for our life and that this video I think really just captures well what that gratitude as a posture of lifestyle looks like of waking up every morning uh, with this awareness of what's there around you and that it we we don't necessarily have to jump into creating gratitude journals but I think just periodically reflecting on what what could be or what What would life be like if we didn't have what we had in our lives? It's just a a really powerful reminder. But even as I kind of left you last week with a kind of a burning question, I I think the, the heart of why we've started this series in December called The Light of the World is that gratitude is not the finish line. That even in the midst of that video alone, that gratitude is not the end goal. Gratitude's a starting point. It's the beginning, but it's not the end. And that oftentimes we can lose sight of that, that we we want to foster gratitude. And then even in popular writing, gratitude is held up as if somehow it's the end goal. But I think even the holiday we just celebrated actually hints at the fact that gratitude isn't. We call it Thanksgiving because thanks isn't the only thing present in that day. As a compound word, it points to something. It's the same thing that Paul points to in the letter to his young protege named Timothy. It's the same thing I left you with last week as we reflected on for a solid minute, who are the people in our lives that we're most grateful for? And that I left you with this simple question of what if there was someone in this world that felt the same way about you that you just felt about them? and the gratitude that you had for those people in your life. And so if you're here today and you you didn't hear last week's message, I would encourage you to kind of jump into that. It's it's a really kind of great primer for what does it look like to live your life with gratitude as your posture. And even as alluded, there's just a really solid minute in that message where we're meant to kind of lean into fully and experience what we just saw in this video with this guy. And today I want to kind of pick up on where I left you last week with this idea of how. Because I think for many of us, we, we want to become people who other people are grateful for. That we want to experience not just the starting point of gratitude, but we want to experience the finish line as well. And Paul, in that letter to his protege called Timothy, actually begins to kind of mark out for us a path forward in how we can do this. Because I think deep down inside, we want to live lives that are just bigger than ourselves. We want to live lives that aren't just different, but make a difference. And that what Paul spells out for us in really just two simple sentences, after the sentence that we looked at last week, he gives us a way how we can experience and become this type of people If you remember, um, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and Timothy's in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is one of the most affluent and influential cities in the ancient world. It's a place with running water, hot and cold. It has indoor heating systems. These people were far more technologically advanced than almost any civilization up until modern civilization. I mean, they were truly extraordinary in their technological and their societal breakthroughs and what they were doing. And so Timothy, as a young 30 year old, is dropped in the middle of that. And there are wealthy individuals and there are influential individuals. And Paul tells Timothy, go lead them. And Timothy has none of the backdrop that they have. He has none of the life experiences. And Paul writes this letter and at the end of the letter, he begins to give specific instructions for Timothy around uh, our lifestyle and what our lifestyle could look like. And I even pointed out last week that for many of us, we oftentimes would kind of self-select out of rich or wealth. And uh, we would read this and say there's a 1%, you know, they have private jets and they have, you know, multiple homes and they they live lifestyles that I don't live. And yet, if you r- take a step back and realize wealth and richness is all relative, that if you make more than $33,000 a year, you are the top 1% in the world, that there is this reality that I think Paul would be speaking to us, and he writes these words, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us for everything, for our enjoyment, and then he continues, because he doesn't just want to end Right? He's like gratitude, this God who richly provides everything. That's the starting point. Then he continues, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You see, Paul is trying to cast a different vision for a lifestyle for these people. He's trying to teach Timothy how to envision what life could look like for these individuals in this, this ancient city called Ephesus. And his point is not that giving is the luxury of the rich. He's not trying to, he's, he's, not, he's not simply saying giving is, is a luxury of the rich. It's not. Giving isn't a luxury of the rich. It's the response of the grateful, which is really different. That oftentimes we think, oh, if giving is something that people who, the wealthy should do. But what Paul lays out in this passage right before verse 18 is actually that giving is a response to gratitude. It's present even in the word thanksgiving, thanks then giving. It's this compound word. And he's trying to cast a vision. And the reason he's specifically highlighting the rich in this passage is not to condemn them. He's just saying, hey, the rich are a great example of this because they have more to be thankful for. Thus, they should be even more generous because they have more opportunity for gratitude. They have more opportunity to reflect on what they have. There's an obligation that comes. He's trying to redefine what rich really is in this passage for them. That rich isn't about what you store up in this life. It's about how you spend your life. It's not about the goods that you have. It's about the good that you do. And that's completely different than the kind of the finish line, and end zone that most of these people had established for themselves. That most people just want to live in a different socio income bracket. And Paul's trying to say, no, actually, what I really want to call you to is not a life that has a different socioeconomic standard, but that makes a difference. Because isn't that true? If you were here last week or listened to the podcast, the person that you thought of that made a difference in your life. I imagine, especially if they weren't family, that the reason they made a difference in your life was because they, not because of their socioeconomic standing, it was because they somehow stepped into where you were standing and helped you to move to a different place. They saw something in you. They called something out in you. And so even our examples and our experience points to this. And I think that one of the barriers that we have oftentimes, and even leaning into this, even If you get past the fact that, oh, wait, I just came to church today for the first time in a long time, this dude is going to talk about money, isn't he? I knew he was going to talk about money. I told you he was going to talk about money if I came. And look, he's talking about money. No, this is not about me talking about money. This is not about what I want from you. This is what God wants for you. This is what Paul is saying through Timothy to you and I today. Like, we're all collectively thrown in. And I think that besides that specific barrier, that oftentimes there are some barriers in the way for us to... from us becoming these generous people that's meant to be a reflection and a response to our gratitude. And the first, actually, I want to give you two guiding principles that have been super helpful for me that I've gotten from my mentors um, through through our journey towards generosity. The first principle is this, that you should do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. Because oftentimes we fall into the trap of saying, well, we can't, I can't help everyone, so I really shouldn't help someone, or I can't help someone. And this is something that we inadvertently get taught growing up, right? I mean, we've all had moments with adults when we were kids, or even as adults in places where someone leans in like, look, I wish I could do this for you, but if I, if I did it for you, then I'd have to do it for everyone. Right, we've all been told that at certain moments when you're like, "Hey, just check me out. I, I know that you don't have to." Like, there's a, all these really long lines. Will you just? Ch- if, well, if I did it for you, I'd have to do it for everyone. When you were small and there was that extra, you know, cookie, and you're like, "Can I have that cookie?" And they're like, "No, if I did it for you, I'd have to do it for all your siblings." And you and I both know on the inside that that wasn't right, right? Because you'd want to say. Look, I won't tell if you won't tell. <laughs> if you do this for me, it will stay in between us. Like, this will be our secret to the grave, right? Like, we know this. As gr- and growing up, we would have these moments. We're like, in your mind, when they're saying, if I did it for you, I'd have to do it for everyone. And you're like, no, you don't. You only have to do it for everyone if I tell someone. And I'm not. So we're good. And I think this barrier gets in the way from us being able to practice this generosity the way that we were intended to. And instead of not participating, not being generous and not doing good for someone because you can't do it for everyone, I think you actually, you flip it and you do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. I mean, that story that you had in your mind, those people the individuals, when I was thinking last week at this minute, there was one person that came to mind, and I'm so grateful that they did for me what they wish they could do everyone. They, I was the exception that they made. And I, I imagine that you were someone's exception too. You were some school teacher. You were some coach's exception. You were some... Um, supervisor's exception where they saw something in you that they thought was exceptional and they called it out of you, that some teacher along the way, some some friend or neighbor did for you what they wished they could have done for everyone. And that exception led to you having that exceptional amount of gratitude last week. Even this Thanksgiving, I experienced this. Um, it was my wife was in the, uh, kind of preparing one of the meals, and she's working through the recipe. And, um, and she was like, oh, my goodness, I, I'm out of noodles. And this specific recipe called for more noodles, and we didn't have enough. And, um, and she's kind of in this place of desperation. She just calls Roche Brothers, which is a grocery store down the road. And someone answers. She was like, oh, my goodness, are you open? And the guy's like, no, we're closed. And she's like, ah. Oh. And he says, well, what do you need? And she's like, um, I need elbow noodles. And he was like, Borrelia? I think that's what it's called. Elbow noodles? Yes, that's what I need. 16 ounces? Yes, that's it. All right, how fast can you get here? She's like, three minutes. you know." And she's like, drive there very fast. So she calls me. She's like, you've got to get to this grocery store and I I pull up in the parking lot and I have this guy's cell phone number and I call and um, he comes walking out of the store with a bag and he hands me the noodles and I'm like ready to pay and he's like it's free and I'm like can can we hug can we you know like no oh okay that's okay I respect your boundaries right but I'm like I get in the car and my daughter's with me and I was like that was amazing She was like, I want to work for him one day, daddy. (laughs) Because she was just so blown away at this guy's like niceness. And I was driving back and, you know, this message was kind of already percolating in the back of my head. And I was like, man, that is such a great example of what it looks like to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And if we walked into our lives with the freedom that that principle brings, it would start to loosen the chains and it starts to allow us the freedom to practice the generosity that you and I deep down inside want to actually practice. The second principle that, that, go along, that goes alongside of do for one what you wish you could do for everyone is um, that you have a responsibility to pour out your cup. You don't, you're not responsible for filling up theirs. So let me tell you what that means, because this is a really helpful principle. Um, Because this is, I think, the other barrier we get into when we try to practice generosity. So you're only responsible for pouring out your cup. You're not responsible for filling up theirs. I don't know if you've ever been on the other side of someone in need. Maybe you experience this just walking down the street in the city and there's someone who's homeless and this tension, I think, kind of naturally bubbles up. You see someone, you're like, man, they don't have a home, they don't have food, um, it's really cold, they barely have a coat on. And and in that moment, all you see is the cup that they need to be filled with. You see all of that cup and you look at your cup and you're like, man, they are a bucket and all I have is... Is this little tablespoon. There's no way I can even make a difference. Because you see their cup and what needs to be filled. If you've ever sat along through someone going through grief, I think this is one of the reasons we don't step into people's grief. It's because you watch someone walking through grief and you, you see how empty they are. And you recognize how much they need in order to be filled. And you look at what you have and you're like, I, I can't. It's just a drop. And oftentimes that same idea keeps us from stepping in and making a difference in their life. We don't serve, we don't do good because we look at what we have and we look at what they need and we just exempt ourselves out. But when you recognize that you're not responsible for filling them up, but that you are responsible to emptying you out, it puts you in a posture to be able to say, not apologetically, but to say, this is all I have. But all I have, I give to you. In that moment, of, so maybe you walk by that homeless person and you're like, I, I can't fix their life. I, I, don't, I don't have a job. I, I don't have a house that I can give them. But you got $5. And I recognize for some of us that's attention because we're like, well, you know, they're probably going to go take it and use it for drugs. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't know that actually. Now, sometimes I actually have driven by um, people who were holding signs that says, I'm homeless, and if you give me money, I'm going to go drink or do drugs with it. And I'm like, I appreciate your honesty. I'm probably not going to facilitate your addiction. However, for most of them, I don't think that's the case. Again, I may be naive, but here's the freedom it brings to me. I'm not responsible to filling their cup. I'm just responsible for emptying out mine. It gives me a healthy boundary in my life. It means that you can sit down with a coworker who's going through a hard time or you can see your neighbor who's in the midst of a struggle and you don't, feel, you don't have to feel the pressure of fixing their life. You just get the, the privilege of showing up in it and pouring out a little bit of what you have that can make a difference for them. Because I think sometimes deep down inside, we want to fix and because we can't fix, we, we just walk out. And that these two principles actually can be truly freeing for us when we step out. We can give our time. We can give our treasure. We can share our talents without feeling bad that we didn't fix the problem. That we'll only have one hour. That's okay. You have one hour. You're not responsible for filling up all their hours. But you have one hour, so give it to them. Use it. And the beauty is that when you start to do this, then you start to experience... A life that's not just different, but actually makes a difference. And then Paul in verse 18 actually shows us not just um, how we can do it, like the two principles already illustrate, but what we can do. He, he kind of unpacks two different things. He, he lays out a life of good through good deeds and then a life of good through donations. That's kind of the, the two D's in there. He, he says it four times in different ways, but he's doing that to make a point. This is not in a day and age where italics and bold and underline and capital letters have creeped in for effect. And so one of the way that ancient letter writers would make a point or to illustrate a point, is they would repeat a phrase or they would repeat a word multiple times over and over and over. Some of us, your kids, tell you you do the same thing when you're talking to them because you repeat yourself over and over and over. And why do you do that? One, because you think they're not listening, which is probably true. But true, because you recognize what the ancient people recognized that sometimes you want to really make a point, you say it over and over. And so Paul says this four different times, four different ways to make the point, to cast a vision, to paint a picture of what the life that is generous looks like. That it's good in both time and in the giving of treasure. And that by doing both of those things, we start to reflect the good in the picture of a life that's making a difference, not just a life that's different. The acts of kindness that start to be freed up because... Now you're paying attention to other people's tensions in life. You see your neighbor who's going through grief and how their leaves are piling up. And you can't fix their grief. You can't repair the fact that they lost their spouse. But you've got a rake. Or you've got a snowblower. Or you've got an oven that can prepare one meal. And you step into that. And you engage with them where they are. Because you don't feel the pressure to fix it. And you do, for one, what you wish you could do for everyone. And that this good deed done or this good donation done ends up making a difference in their life. And that ultimately, that over a lifespan of doing that, things start to transform around you. I mean, we need a world where more people are waking up in the morning looking for the good that they can do. Not just griping and complaining about all the bad that's already there. That bad is... The default, it is what we drift to if someone or someones don't step up and step in to make a difference. This was actually part of the genius of God and how he, not just in the writing of this letter, but in even producing the church. You see, I I have a unique kind of perspective in that... um, Many of you walk in around Sunday mornings and you get to enjoy the coffee and you drop your kids off and, um, or you drop your kids off on Sunday nights for student ministry. And what I know that you probably don't always recognize is the fact that every single person from the stage and backstage and all around, they're not being paid to be here. They're volunteering their time. The genius of God was that if people were not generous, the church would not exist. Period. If next week you decided to no longer be generous, or the people that are currently serving decided to no longer be generous, we wouldn't exist anymore. We would simply shut our doors and we'd all go about our lives. This thing is built on. This movement is predicated on people's generosity. It's an amazing thing. You walk in on Sunday mornings and you get far more than just a free thing of noodles. You experience hope. And the reason you experience hope and the reason you experience that wisdom of God through the Bible and through your kids walking away with people who are loving and investing in them because they believe on Sunday mornings that they get an opportunity to kind of pour a little bit of water on a kid's heart so that they can learn and grow and how much God loves them. Like all of that happens because of people's generosity. It's amazing to me that all that's done out of the sacrifice of others and that God painted a picture of what a church could be based off of that. That Sunday mornings, we take it serious that one of the reasons that your kids love it, we just have a passion. Um, I I didn't grow up in church and have the experiences my daughter is having. But one of the things that we envision is a church where kids walk in on Sunday morning and they're the ones dragging you here, not the other way around because they walk into an environment and they step into a room filled with adults and even teenagers right who are who are so excited about being here on sunday morning because they re- realize that they get to step into a holy moment a special moment where they get to show kids that they're loved and that they have value and worth and I just imagine what if we as a church Create environments where kids step in and on Sunday mornings, they have so much love and they have so much value and they have so much worth. Imagine what will happen in the generations to come if that's the type of kids that we're growing here. Some of you grew up in homes where you had that, but some of us didn't. And imagine if that's the type of environment and that's the soil. And the reason we create that soil, the reason that that soil's been created is because people like you have said yes to serving, to yes to pouring out their cup and leaning into it. And we have an amazing team of leaders who do the work, who make that possible. Because I recognize for some of us, like you have a passion for kids and you want to work with students or you, you know, you would love to... Be a part of what happens backstage, or in the greeting, or in the parking lot. But you're like, I don't, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't even like know what the Bible is, or I, I would never be able to prepare a lesson, or I, I don't even know how you would buy materials or to do that on Sunday morning. Cause my kids love it, but I'm sure I could never do that for someone else's kid. And for you to know, our volunteers, our leadership team, literally does all the week. In the week, all the work in the week ahead. So people step into Sunday morning. They're handed a script, they're given all the resources, and they pour out their cup for one hour on Sunday morning. And in, in the process, they pour into the hearts and lives of little tiny kids and families. Or they're the smile that that lifts someone up a little bit as they walk into the door after walking through a divorce or grief or starting to wrestle with some of the hardest questions that life has to offer. That That's one of the beauties of God's genius and that he creates a people that that exists because people serve and give. On Sunday mornings, this is how this church happens. Maybe you've never um, dug into church finances, which is, you know, should be very boring. Um, but the reason church finances exist is because people give. There are families in this church who... Over 10% of what they make, they just generously give to it. That, that sounds really weird, but that happens. Why? Because they feel guilty? No. Because they'll tell you. Because our family gives over 10% of what we make. Every single person who works at this church gives over 10% of what they make. Why? Because we work at this church? No. I was given 10%, over 10% before I ever worked at a church. It's because the genius of what God created wasn't that just that a people would be born. But what happens when you start to practice this generosity, it starts to transform you from the inside out. Most of us, we experience our lives being controlled through other things. Our cash and our calendar are often the things driving us. Rarely ever do we live in control of them. They're often controlling us. And one of the geniuses of what God set up through generosity is when you start to do good, when you start to give good, what happens is it starts to transform you too. It's almost like we were made for it what study after study after study has demonstrated is people who are generous, they have lower risk of dementia, they live longer, they are healthier, they, they have longer life expectancies, both in quantity and quality of life. And this isn't even about just, oh, in the latter years. This is even evident in research done with teenagers and that teenagers who live generously, who give their time, who give their resources, they actually have lower risk of anxiety and depression. They have lower risk of delinquent behaviors. And I don't know about you, but I'm all for teenagers having a lower risk of delinquent behaviors, especially when I have teenagers, right? But that this, it's almost like we were made for it, that when we practice generosity, it does something to us. And look, I'm not here saying you've got to be generous to the church because I know that some of you are probably like, well, I told you this was the moment. He's been leading up and this is the moment he's doing the ask. No, I'm just saying you need to be generous somewhere. Generosity needs to be a part of your life because it is an essential to life. You were made for it. You were created to be generous. That thinks should end with giving. And it should be present. And that my personal bias is the church is one of the best places to practice generosity, both in serving and in giving. Mainly because I think we have a unique perspective in the church that Paul actually continues in verse 18, right? He says this, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, in Ephesus, they had um, these homes along the hills, these beautiful homes along the hillside there. And they had amazing foundations. And those foundations were the, the bedrock in which they would build these homes that had indoor heating and hot and cold running water and beautiful, ornate living spaces and bed spaces. And Paul is building off of the picturesque setting that Ephesus has, and he's painting a different foundation. He's painting a picture of a different type of life. A life. He's actually casting vision for something that he recognized that the rich in that community would have understood. You see, uh, people who are successful understand this concept called ROI, or return on investment. They understand that. And this is actually what Paul is teasing out here. He's He's saying, look, there's a better return on investment with this. That you should invest your money in the one thing that lasts forever, which is people not just places and spaces and things and stuff. And he, he subtly says that when he says the coming age. When Abraham Lincoln um, was assassinated, uh, one of the things that came out of that was his wallet that evening was given to um, his family. And for about 100 years, no one knew what was in his wallet. The family never opened it. And then eventually, after a series of generations, um, his family returned his wallet and some of his um, kind of uh, artifacts, they gave it back to the U.S. government. And so the U.S. government, when they opened up his wallet, it was actually interesting, what they found was one of these. Now, this is an actual $5 bill from the Confederacy. So this is a Confederacy $5 bill. And it was tucked inside of his wallet. And... He'd picked it up, most likely, um, just a couple weeks before when the end of the Civil War was beginning to materialize. And after there had been a series of uh, surrenders in different battles, uh, Abraham Lincoln had begun to travel into the deeper part of Virginia, into Richmond. And, and, and it's, it's presupposed because he never wrote about it because he died shortly after, that he picked up one of these walking through a Virginia battle site. And it's really surreal when you hold it and when you look at it and when you read it because you understand that like these people for years had believed that this had value and worth. This had been the driving currency for their life. In fact, the reason it's in a plastic sleeve is because the Confederacy at the time when they were printing, um, they were substantially poorer than the northern in the Union. And so the paper they used was really fragile, and so I can't even hold the paper um, because I would probably end up ripping it. And so even even the paper that this currency was printed on was subpar. And yet, the irony for me is the fact that Abraham Lincoln holding the currency in his wallet kind of illustrated what Paul is saying here. These people for a few years experienced In a few years, in the course of about five years, in fact, um, they experienced what Paul wrote here. For a few years, this had worth, and then it became worthless. And to further drive home the fact was Abraham Lincoln experienced all of that a couple weeks later when he passed away too. When uh, John D. Rockefeller, who's one of the richest persons to have ever lived, um, after after he passed away, his accountant said, um, How much did he leave behind? And his accountant supposedly answered all of it. Because that's what we all do. We leave all of this behind. And that the Confederacy experienced in a few years what we will experience over all of our years. And that ultimately anything invested in something that's worthless, anything invested in this life is temporary. And Paul's painting a picture of an investment in an RO strategy, an ROI strategy, that's about not just this life, but the coming life too. That the way we live and spend our our lives, according to Paul, speaking to a group of Christians, is meant to point to the deeper reality of life. It's meant to point us to what truly lasts forever. And that's people and the investment we make in people. That's the one that doesn't go away because they, like you and I, are meant to live forever too. And that our lives, this wasn't just a a really interesting thought. I'm kind of a church history fan and one of the things is that once upon a time, this was the church. You go back and you look through church history. Are there some dark moments where people who were very selfish got in the church leadership and used the church as a mechanism for their own selfish ambitions? Yes, that did happen. Were there some misguided individuals who've used the church throughout human history to do their evil deeds? Yes, unfortunately, it's true. I would argue that the challenge is not so much that the church is broken. It's that the people are broken because people can do that. With look, I've seen PTOS, I've seen homeowners associations, I've seen local government structures that get jacked up. I've seen teams and organizations experience that. Like that, it's not a church problem. It's a human problem because that's the common denominator in all of these things. It's our brokenness. But once upon a time, the church was a radical revolutionary force for love and good deeds. Once upon a time, the church was a force that was known for the fact that love does. Because they had been birthed out of the greatest act of love in human history. And that as a church, we are radically committed to being that type of church. That we will be known for what we do, not what we take from that we will be a church that's known for how we love. And that's not just on Sunday mornings where your kids walk in or where you walk in, but also in and around our community. This, this year, beginning this month, we, every single year, um, we, we take a love does offering. And the reason why is because as a church, we're, um, deeply committed to being a church known for what we do for the community, not what we take from it. And, as a church, you could argue, well, don't you need the money? Don't you need the finances, right? Because there are things like light and goldfish and T-shirts and all kinds of random things that are part of like just everything. Yes, we do. But we believe that churches should be known what for, for what they do for the community, not what they take from it. So we are kind of crazy. The last month of the year, we just said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an offering the entire month into um, the year, and it's all going to be a, about... Not these four walls, but what happens outside of these four walls. We're going to use the money for community engagement, for the community events we do, for the compassion ministries that we do, for the benevolence that we're able to do for individuals, for the way that we're able to step in and make a difference for people walking through crisis, and the ways that we give nationally and globally to different disaster reliefs and humanitarian aid, and the way that we support organizations like us around the world. Like We're sort of crazy like that. And then the last month of the year, this is what we do. Because we believe the church should be known for what they do for the community, not what they take from it. And that part of the, the beauty and the brilliance is that we live in a world that really needs to see love in action. And that for far too long, we, especially even in this culture, we've, we've confused um, complaining with making a difference. Uh, There's a lot of people who have complaints, and a lot of people who have reasons for why this world is bad, but we actually believe we should just step in and make a difference. Uh, That we'll let people, you know, talk on television and write scathing editorials all they want. We we actually want to pick up a shovel and do something. In fact, that's why even as we kick off this Love Does offering, I just want to tell you one of the things that your love does, uh, because we've done this every year. What has already been set into motion before this love does offering even happens. So we were inspired by you earlier in the um, uh, year uh, some individuals stepped in and said hey, we want to help Kind of relieve some of the debt that we have from the construction of this space and we owed 311,000 and they're gonna do a two-for-one matching and um You know, they're like bring in everything, 70, you know, up to 75. We're going to match you, and we're like, that's insane. In the middle of summer, that's just not going to happen. And um, because of your generosity, you stepped in. We went from 311 to 47 thousand dollars. Isn't that incredible? Like that, that, that's you. You did that. You should clap harder for you because you did that, right? Your generosity, you paved the way for that. And we were inspired by that. We're like, man, that's amazing. What if, I wonder how we could leverage the fact that we experienced moving out of the weight of debt. How could we kind of parlay that into love does and kind of dream a little bit? And we've been inspired by some of our friends and organizations specifically who was starting to do this in some ways that we thought was really creative. And we have a passion. We want to make a difference in our community. So um, we have begun conversations with this organization who buys medical debt. And this is an organization who, um, they were former debt collectors who just grew sick and tired of what debt collection did to people. The constant phone calls, the the letters in the mail threatening lawsuits, um, and just the nasty life, and if any of you have ever been on the other side of that, it's just, it's harassing. And so this organization said, we want to do good. And so they, um, because of their experience in debt collection, they began uh, kind of setting up an organization that would specifically, in partnership with other organizations, um, buy medical debt from people who were just living right above the poverty line or below it. People who were dealing with medical debt that um, was crushing them. That was the reason they were being drug into court or getting harassing phone calls throughout the week. Um, and so that organization has been a part of a movement. And medical debt's not a debt that you go out and procure. It's a, it's a debt that really happens to you. Some, some sickness steps in, something you didn't plan for hits you in your face, and all of a sudden you're experiencing some of the most expensive hotel stays in the world with... Upwards of $10,000 a night for some people in the midst of what they're going through. And so because of your generosity, because of Love Does and because of the way that we've been able to partner with this organization and because of the ridiculousness of how debt collection even works in the beginning and that pennies can buy you dollars in, in people's debt, um, this this holiday season, people are going to get a letter in this area, individuals are living right at the poverty line or below it. Um, are going to get a letter saying, because of Encounter Church, we wanted to let you know that your debt has been forgiven upwards, right? So here's crazy, Um, that half a million dollars of medical debt in our community, in this region, will be forgiven this Christmas season because of you and your generosity. (laughs) And it's like, so... Why? It's because we believe that a church should be known for what they do for the community, not what they take from it. And that there are people being crushed right now with a debt that they did not sign up for, that they didn't ask for. And that debt's going to continue to haunt them. And this Christmas season, you as a church are going to give them that gift. And we just think that's an extraordinary thing. But that's a picture of what love does. And we don't do it because we expect anything about it because that's the thing. When you do good, you don't do it for any reason outside of just simply doing good. And that we thought it was fitting because it's actually a picture, I think, of what Christianity is at its core, that you and I owed a debt that we couldn't free ourselves from, that we in our brokenness could never pay off the debt to make us perfect. And yet God stepped in, and through Jesus, He purchased our debt, and He erased it too. And that's the, the beautiful good news of the Christian message is that you and I don't have to live bound and enslaved and in debt to God anymore that we can be free. And that it's just a simple step of faith and trust in what Jesus has done that frees us from that. It's amazing. And we just, so we just love the, 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 way to step into someone's life and actually let them physically experience what spiritually God desires to do for all of us. And that if you want to be a part of this love does offering, we're kicking it off on giving Tuesday because, um, Facebook is going to be matching beginning at 8am. They're going to be matching, um, funds given to 501c3s like us and, um, and so our Love Does offering kicks off at 8 a.m. on Facebook's, our Facebook page um, because up to $100,000, first come, first serve, they will match, no questions asked, through each organization. And we've done the, the back-end work uh, to work through all the verification, to, to verify all the things that they have. And so we're really excited. And we were like, you know what, let's, let's kick off Giving Tuesday. And so um, if you're interested in getting a text reminder about that, um, I've created a number for you that you can text. Um, it's 617-315-0315. Some of you, uh, many of you actually last week texted this number. And if you just text the word love, that's kind of the way that I'll know. And um, because that's that that comes to my phone. And so we'll create a um, kind of a dedicated little automated message just to get pushed out of you um put out right before 8 a.m says hey go to our facebook page 8am 00.00 and give and for those who are unable to give um 8 a.m um this this um tuesday the entire month um our giving uh, our giving will be focused around love does and so you'll be able to give through the app or here on sunday mornings um, but just know that this is actually one of those incredible things that uh, we believe that last year was amazing love does offering, and we're just dreaming next year, like wow, what could we do if we were able to be as more generous than we've ever been? And and then to have a matching offer step into that just makes it extraordinary. And in fact, my my watch right now is vibrating because you're you're texting. And um and I was like, Why is my arm shaking? It's because you are just awesome like that. Um and we're so grateful because here's our heart. We believe the best is still yet to come at this church. This, this church was never built on me. This was never built on any of us. This is built on who he is and his act of love and his act of generosity and his forgiveness for us. And that we imagine a people that get unleashed around this region who make a difference, who do good who are people who do live in a posture of gratitude, but who understand that gratitude is not a starting line. It's not just a finish line. It's a starting line to the good that we can do. And so I can't wait over the next year to see what God's going to do through you. And throughout the month of December, we're going to share some of the good that you've already been doing um, out of this last Love Does offering. And so through the month of December in our series, The Light of the World, we're just going to celebrate your goodness and your generosity and so thank you thank you in advance for those who give thank you in advance for for those who've been giving for those who serve for those who are even interested in serving and let's begin to step into our world even in this month of december and start to become light in this world that shines bright that does good and that shows people that god's for them let's pray Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.